0: G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RBC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. So we're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this uh, podcast, and we don't ask for much in return. We're incredibly grateful if you pop to um, Apple Podcast or Acast and leave us a review. Obviously, uh, a five-star review would be great. Other reviews are available for different podcasts, but we'd, we'd prefer five stars if that's possible. Actually, I had a look. Sorry, we've we've, uh, we've been off air for a while. Um, life gets in the way sometimes. Um, but there's some really great uh, reviews um uh, from People uh, uh, over the last of uh, a few months. Um, if you could keep that up, that would be uh, great. So there's W. H. Uh, VET and Amy Glanville and and people being quite enthusiastic and positive about the the podcast UK Vet as well. So thank you very much um, for those. Uh, we'll get straight into it. So joining us on the RVC podcast uh, a bit different. So someone that doesn't actually work for the RVC, but maybe uh, we should uh, we should get people from outside as as well. So Rosie Ellister has joined us, um, and she is the vet life helpline manager is that, is that correct that's right yeah um, and uh, and also doing a PhD at the University of, of Edinburgh so uh, um, so thank you very much uh, Rosie for, for joining us I've sort of crowbarred you in because you're going to come to talk to us finding your students about vet life so so maybe you could ask by uh, um, or start by just asking so how did you what is vet life actually and, and for people that aren't in the UK or even in the UK and and, uh, and how did you get involved
1: So VetLife is a charity that supports veterinary professionals and veterinary professionals includes vets, vet students, veterinary nurses, anybody who works in a veterinary practice or the veterinary industry, we're there to support them. Um, And I got involved with it about, that's a good question, um, more than 12 years ago. And I first got involved as a volunteer on the helpline. and the reason I did that was because, I think like a lot of people in our profession, I'd had friends and colleagues who'd struggled with things and I wanted to, in a very small way, be part of doing something about it. Because I think a lot of us sometimes have a feeling that um, you know, we see difficulties and we want to be able to help and we don't really know how to. And for me, it was important to feel that I was able to do even a very small thing
0: okay and so um so was it quite easy to get involved with, with yeah vet
1: life? absolutely so a lot of the work that vet life does is done by volunteers and that's really important to us because um it's very much veterinary professionals supporting other veterinary professionals so it's really important that Among the people who volunteer for us, there's a really wide range of backgrounds and people and there's a great diversity among our volunteers, which is important to us because we want to, as much as we can, represent the people that we support. So we have people volunteering for us in various roles um, on the helpline, as area reps for our financial support service and also as trustees. Um, Because we're a charity, we have a board of trustees who are all volunteers um, from the veterinary community as well.
0: I know you can't get into the specifics about what people call about but is there a, a, a general band whether it's uh, financial problems or um, dependence problems that that falls in and, and for different stages in people's career or or, it, <clears throat> or is it just uh, uh, a smorgasbord of of, uh, of different issues that people have
1: yeah so in some ways um well helpline gets about had last year 2,775 calls, so we get about eight calls a day. When I say calls, that includes email as well, we have a confidential email service too. Um, it's probably easier to say what we don't get calls about than what we do because people call about everything, and a lot of people don't know. But when we're, we're not just there for veterinary related things, people call us about relationship issues, about family stuff. Um, The most common themes of calls we get are stress, um, maybe burnout, maybe difficulties at work. Um, We get quite a lot of calls from recent graduates who maybe aren't getting the right kind of support that they feel they need. Um, We also get um, calls from people at career transitions, maybe taking on different kinds of management or leadership roles and um, maybe worried about other people as well and people experiencing mental health difficulties, sometimes people going through complaints or disciplinary processes, this can be really distressing for people. So a really wide range of stuff.
0: So you said, there's other things you don't get uh, called
1: um, about? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> we, we get calls about pretty much everything, um, which is great because we want to be there, whatever it is that's bothering somebody, and we don't need it to be veterinary-related. We just need the person to have some link to the veterinary community and we're there for them.
0: And am I right in thinking that actually calls or to vet life or, or correspondence to vet life has increased a ridiculous amount over the last few years? Is, it's increased
1: that- a lot um, by almost a nine-fold increase over about five years. Um, that's not been totally unexpected because over that time we've been really lucky to have support of um, various different organisations of like VDS and Royal College in particular. Um, Royal College and um, through them My Master's Initiative done a lot of publicity for us. So part of it, I think, is an awareness thing that people are more aware that we're available and they're more aware about the level of confidentiality that we offer because I think previously maybe people had concerns that if I tell them this, are they going to tell anybody? And we don't tell anybody anything. It's all confidential. So people could tell us maybe that they were um, doing something that other people in another context in the veterinary world might feel that they needed to report and we wouldn't. It's all safe with us. And so I think once people have that reassurance, it's maybe easier for them to call. Um, so it's not really possible for my calls to say that there's an increase in distress but I think there are certain themes that you know are quite consistent over time and that there are sort of emerging themes as well so things that people find difficult and challenging.
0: What are these uh, emerging Um,
1: themes? And I suppose this may be to do with the demographic of people who call us but we're getting more calls from nurses Um, and that's a good thing in some ways because previously we didn't get many calls from nurses at all or from student nurses and that wasn't because there weren't difficulties for them or weren't challenges it was just because I think they weren't aware that they could call so that's really important that we've had those um, we also get I think a lot of calls from recent graduates worried about levels of support in practice which is it's um, I think it's really important that they can call to talk to us and talk those through, because one of the things that we know is that some people, when they go into practice, can feel quite isolated, and so it's really important that they know that the veterinary community cares about them and is there for them. we also get calls from um, recent graduates who've had really supportive experiences and maybe have other at work and maybe have other stuff going on in their life. So that's important too.
0: So it's completely complete varied. Complete range of about. everything
1: that goes on, yeah.
0: And, uh, and so at the University of Edinburgh, you're doing a, a PhD, is that, is that correct? Yeah, that's what?
1: right. So I'm just sort of finishing off um, a cohort study. So it followed people at three time points when they were in their final year of veterinary study, when they were in their first year in practice, and then when they were two years qualified as well. Um, And one of the things I was really interested in was whether... how that transition is for people's well-being, for people's health. Um, I'm particularly interested in how could we better support people because we know that transition to practice can be a difficult time. For some people it goes really well um, and for some people it can be really tough and it can be one of the toughest points in people's careers and so what I was interested in is what makes a difference for people when it goes well and, and when it doesn't go so well and how can we make that better for the people that it's, we're not getting it right for as a profession. So, um, so it was important to follow the same people because when you do a cross-sectional study I think sometimes it's easy to assume that maybe people who are struggling at vet school are the same ones who are struggling in practice and that's not the case at all um, so so yeah it was an interesting study and I'm really grateful to the people who took part I think it's an incredible amount of trust for those people to do interviews over a three-year period and um, and it's been really interesting in terms of the results as well
0: what are you where are you at with your, your results and, and um, your Yeah,
1: so they're pretty much written up so they should be published in the next um, year or so which is it's, um, it's a, I think it's a tremendous privilege in some ways to be able to sort of relate some of those stories that maybe the people who are in that situation at the time don't get to do, and to do it in a completely anonymised way so that we can say more authoritatively, actually, we know that... When it works, it can work really well and there is really good support out there in some practices, which is the good news story from it. And when people have really good support, they do incredibly well, even if they've maybe been struggling at school before, things can really turn around and go brilliantly. Um, But conversely, when the right support isn't there in practice, I think you know even when things have been going really well until then it can have a massive effect on people's well-being and health so it's really important that that right support is there and the study's also been looking at what does that right support look like and to what extent does veterinary culture influence that as well so what we all think it means to be a vet and how does that influence people's well-being too which turned out to be quite important
0: see, see the, the the right support as you said that means for the individual. And so, were there were there any themes that you could pull out from that that were? Um, so, say if someone was going to employ a new grad, that you would say what they would what they would require.
1: Yeah, very much. So, um, the results are going to be published soon, and part of what I'm thinking of doing in those is actually pulling out the primary themes of um, of what things you can do that do help. Um, And I think part of it is about working with the individual so that um, you can together have a discussion about what that support actually looks like, because I think there can be a disconnect between practices feeling they're providing support and the person feeling they're not being supported. And I think a lot of that's about communication and making sure your, your ideas around that are actually the same but there are very specific things as well um, particularly to do with loan working and when people are given sole charge um, that was a really big finding in the study and I think something that um, you know I think is really important for safety issues in our profession as well that people's experience matches the level of responsibility and the level of task that they're given um, some of the stuff that went on for people in the study was actually really difficult to hear um, in terms of feeling that maybe as a profession we're not doing as well as we could at supporting new graduates,
0: are there things that we can learn from, say, medical professionals, or other allied health professionals about how you get that level of support? Because I suppose for you, you, you need to be able at some point to be forced to do something that is kind of outside of your comfort zone, say that you're competent in that, but doing it in a way that is supported. So are there models that exist that people can yeah.
1: do that. So it's interesting, I mean if you look across to medicine, which is maybe one that relates most closely to vet, um, veterinary training, um, when you qualify as a doctor you have a named consultant who is your um, the person who's responsible for your immediate training and your immediate interaction for the whole next seven years or so of your career. And it isn't expected of new graduate doctors that in their first week of you know, being qualified, that they would be expected to do surgery or things like that alone, with potentially no support around, um, and I think you could ask safety questions about whether we should be expecting that of new graduate vets at all. And it does still happen. And um, my belief is that it shouldn't. It's not good for anybody. And although people, I think, sometimes feel well, it's a baptism of fire. We must do these things. It actually it isn't good for well-being at the time. And although we might retrospectively frame it in that way, while well, I had it hard, that doesn't mean we need to make it that hard for other people because when you support them right, they do just as well, if not better. And they also don't have that big impact on their well-being at the time. There's no need for us to do it in that way. That's my view.
0: And uh, I suppose that with that different levels of support, though, some people might feel competent at something but want to do actually something that maybe they shouldn't. You know, So as, as, do those people... Do they people come out as well in your in your studies to so the people that push themselves without actually knowing that they did?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of it's cultural as well. So there is this expectation that, oh well, people are expecting me to be able to do this. And I think that's where it comes to communication. Actually, knowing who, if a new graduate maybe isn't sure or maybe wants to actually discuss it with somebody, who do they discuss it with? And those training and development goals as well are really important. So you know, there's examples of um, people being asked to do procedures that they've never even witnessed and although some elements of veterinary work are sometimes like that, come across rare or unusual things, um, there is a degree to which you need a bit of experience generally to make that safer and I think sometimes that matching of experience and competency is really important and I think for the first year of practice certainly if we matched experience and competency more closely for new graduates that would potentially be good for their well-being.
0: And uh, in the cohort that you followed, um, all of them still vets?
1: Um, so that's another interesting thing. Um, obviously there's concerns about attrition in the veterinary industry at the moment, and there were people among the cohort who, at the last interview in the study, insofar as much has been done so far, um, who were already considering leaving the veterinary profession, and they weren't people who had discovered they had no interest in veterinary work at all. Um, it was actually to do with working conditions, um, not having the right support, loss of confidence, um, quite serious work-life balance issues. So what they'd been asked to do wasn't compatible with um, maintaining their well-being. And, and I think that was another thing that was really hard to hear and really sad and has made me very determined that um, we need to get things really right for new graduates as a profession. Um, otherwise, I think we'll continue to have the problem that we currently have.
0: And so you had, is well-being as well, that work-life balance, is that an individualistic thing as far as your, your concerned or what you've uh, looked at in people? Because it, it's, it's definitely bandied around a lot in the medical profession as well. And it yeah. means a different thing for different people. It does, yeah. so, so,
1: And I, I think that that quite neoliberal individualistic view that actually your wellbeing is your own responsibility and you choose whether to be happy in a job or not. There are some elements of wellbeing that individuals can influence in terms of some of the choices that we make maybe. Um, However, a huge component is your working conditions and for people of working age, your working conditions are very important for your mental health and it's I think it's really important that the veterinary industry really considers those structural factors that affect people's mental health because, yeah, there is some degree of individual action that people can take. But but what we sort of see in veterinary are things that you would maybe maybe start questioning about how much of an individual role they have. So things that are very working condition-based, like people's hours, like sick pay, like do they have the right support? Are they being asked to do things that are way outside their competency? Um, how much responsibility are you giving to people who are relatively new in role? Um, do people have support for mental health conditions at work? Is there discrimination against mental health conditions at work? Those kinds of things, they're very structural factors. And I think if we don't get those right, then... You know, it's like um, I sometimes say that um, you know, you don't um, if you have a, a canary and your canary gets sick, you don't send it on a resilience course and tell it it's its fault. You actually think there's a problem with more than one person here. And there are quite similar problems with lots of lots of people are experiencing. So perhaps it's not an individual thing and um, And I sometimes hear arguments about things like selection, like how do we select more people who have greater resilience? And I think there's a lot of problems potentially with um, discussing some of that um, for a lot of different reasons. But I think that um, resilience as a term potentially has some problems with it. Um, It can, I think in veterinary, it's interesting because the debate that's gone on in medicine around resilience, that, you know, essentially people are sort of sending me on resilience training so that they can kick me harder, you know, and and, and I won't react, which is very problematic obviously when that does occur and, and it's, you know, not right on a moral level either. But I think actually it's interesting in veterinary because when you talk to vets, they a lot of vets don't seem to find resilience as difficult a concept and we do have quite an individualistic very very self-reliant culture and I think some of the pressure about will I have to manage this all on my own and not be supported is some of that comes from ourselves as well so I think there are Issues about why we aren't having quite the same parallel debate as medicine, but I do think it's really important that we don't lose the importance of those structural factors in that, um, because I think they do matter to us just as much as to medicine, and that if you um, if you put a canary in toxic working conditions and you keep buying a new canary or keep sen- it's it's not the way to do it. It's actually to change the conditions.
0: And do you think, uh, as a um, with the I suppose the rise in corporates in the UK, are bigger companies and without obviously naming them, but our bigger companies yeah. taking more of a, an interest in this and approaching people as far as you're aware, because as as, as yeah. larger employers, because I suppose we all know, if the majority you know ten years ago were um, you know two three person vet practices, and obviously that hours were kind of long, but it probably depends on where you are and you know yeah. where you were urbanly and your On core rotor, etc., etc. I mean, there's so many variabilities with that. But do you think because uh, a lot of corporates are getting involved, that maybe they have uh, more of an investive interest and can try and tackle this a bit better?
1: Yeah. So I think there's interest across the sector in this, and I think it's for um, which is good. And I think there needs to be. Um, However, I think it's what really matters to people. that we come across in research, that you might come across in other situations, is that that interest is perceived as authentic by the people who it matters to, the people who are working for that organisation, whether it's a, a three person um, practice or whether it's you know somewhere with fifty hospitals. Um, when it's not perceived as authentic, when it's perceived as tick box and superficial, like somebody's just sending me on a course and there's no other action at all, um, then the research and other things suggest that it's very unlikely to be helpful and um, so it needs to be authentic and I think the things that we need to address as well as looking at um, well-being issues that may be about maintaining well-being in the workplace and might be about small changes in the workplace that individuals might make you also need to be looking at things like discrimination like preventing stress at work, like proper policies to mitigate stress, like Working conditions in terms of hours and those kinds of things, contracts, sick pay, um, and I think there is variability right across the sector in that. Um, so um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the case that one type of employment in veterinary is predictably going to be better. There's real variability, and I think that's a challenge because for all of us, because if it's being done well in some places, then to what extent? Can we make that the standard? Can we aspire to that for everybody so that everybody has improved working conditions and reduced discrimination and all of those other important things?
0: Do you think in some times, Rosie, like it is going to be difficult to control? Because you might be able to... Limit the amount of hours, but you're not going to limit the amount of stress that those hours can contain. Because I suppose you know, you, some people might see a lot of dermatological cases that come in, and some people might see a lot of emergencies that that bring with them uh, different stresses uh, on that individual, regardless of competence yeah. or or experience. So, yeah. you, so you, it's, it's probably quite difficult just to say that hours are uh-huh. one one of those things that m- will make everyone
1: better yeah it's a really good question so the demand control support model of stress which is um based on the work of a guy called karasek and used by um health and safety executive and others says that um it's based on research that suggests that demanding work so work that's unpredictable that involves lots of responsibility like life and death that's Uh, consumer facing just like veterinary work is um, doesn't necessarily have to be stressful in its nature if you have the right amount of control over your working environment and your conditions and you also have the right support and that includes resources available to you so use emergency work as an example um, and things that might make that more or less stressful which I'm sure we can quite easily imagine having been in that situation ourselves would be staffing for example so emergency work becomes a lot less stressful even though you're dealing with very difficult, very challenging cases, very critically ill animals, if you have the right amount of staff, the right equipment, the right processes so that teams work together well. when it goes well I think emergency work even though it's very challenging and difficult can be rewarding and you can feel you're doing the best job that you can. One of the things that we think is quite important in veterinary well-being is that sense of meaning, so that sense of yeah I'm coming to work and I'm able to be effective most of the time and there's an idea about feeling effective being important in burnout as well so if you can generally feel effective in the work that you do you're probably less likely to um, suffer with some of the difficulties that um, a lot of vets do suffer with and some of that effectiveness stuff is about issues like people having enough control over the working environment, people having the right support including staffing and I think staffing is an issue that is a real challenge for us in fact a lot of difficulties can come about because of um, problems with staffing.
0: And so uh, where, where do you see you know, your work? Are, are there <clears throat> other people doing sort of similar work in, in this country?
1: Yeah, so it's fantastic to see all of the research that's been done. Um, the Mind Matters initiative that we're organising are actually organising a symposium later this year that I'm coordinating the programme for. And it's a one day symposium in London that's solely about Mental health and wellbeing research in the veterinary profession. So, if people are interested in that, they're very welcome to get in touch with me and come along to that. Um, it's um and also to present to that as well. One of the goals of that is to bring all the research together. We held it two years ago. There's a fantastic number of people working in this area, doing a range of different stuff. So we're learning a lot more about it. And I think one of the challenges to us now is how do we get what we know from research to make a difference to people who are working in veterinary practices in a range of different roles? Because another thing that's important is this, is that we know from research internationally that um, the whole veterinary team needs to be supported or else this stuff doesn't work and the whole veterinary team's affected as well and that's really important.
0: And so um, obviously the Mind Matters initiative and you said there's a symposium uh, this year, is there there any global um, feelers? Are are, are you in contact with other researchers uh, across the globe? Yes so
1: there's a fantastic range of research being done in different places around the globe and I think one of the things that's really interesting is is the similarities, um, a lot of similarities, um, it's particularly in recent research with what we know from the UK, um, and also some of the differences and what we can learn from those. As always in research, sometimes something that's a bit of an outlier is really interesting. So what's maybe going a bit better there that we could learn from? Um, and I think it is a real global challenge for the veterinary profession. It's one of the things that we face is how do we make this work really sustainable and meaningful for the people who are doing it and really that um, because we know that actually job satisfaction in vet can be relatively high but it can have quite a high cost in terms of um, burnout mental health well-being and so I think it's important that we know that when support is done right and when people have the right conditions that well-being and that mental health can be a lot better and so to an extent there's a I think there's a challenge there for us in that we know some of what helps how do we how do we actually do it
0: Excellent. And so, uh, Rosie, what, what happens with, with you after your, your PhD? What are you going to do?
1: Um, I think what I would really love to be able to do is to be able to continue that work, so to get an idea of how people's well-being is affected by different things through career. So this was very much focused on transition, how do we get things right? And so because of that, it has a focus on getting things right for new graduates, but we know that that isn't the only challenging thing in a veterinary career transition to practice and so what I'd be really interested in is understanding those other transitions that we go through so transitions to leadership roles which we know are happening at an increasingly early stage of career for various different reasons and making sure that we're supporting people in the best way that we can.
0: Excellent. Um, and are there are there a few things that you that you do personally to uh, to to sort your mental health out, sort your well being out? I know that you uh, ran the London Marathon yesterday, so congratulations <laughs> for that. And it's not the first time you've done that either, so well done. Um, but apart from running, what what else do you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, things that I've learned, I think, through my career is the importance of prioritising time with friends and family. I think it's easy at different points in veterinary careers to be very. Um, to give up an awful lot of things for your work and I think that's very normal and it's, it's quite cultural for us that this work is so important but actually in order to sustain yourself in veterinary work I think you need those people around you who care about you and that's really important um, and yeah I think sport is a big part of my life and really love that and something that a lot of vets will relate to as well and other veterinary professionals is the importance of um, having time for your own animals and connection with your own animals as well in whatever way that you like to do that um, I think that's really important too
0: well thank you very much for your uh, time today rosie and uh, and thank you everyone for listening so we'll wrap it up there if that's all right maybe we'll catch up with you next year um if that's possible so um many thanks again for listening don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit based device and that way you only have to worry about missing a podcast so if you could leave us a review five stars obviously um and don't forget to tell your friends vet friends um, and we'll place any show notes and some link to the uh, vet life website on the RVC pages so just type in RVC clinical podcast in your search engine of choice and it should be top of the tree so if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. So you can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or tweet at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye bye.